0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Bald Move Television, where the officially unofficial podcast for all of television. I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. And we are continuing, as we have for the last four weeks, to discuss uh, in depth uh, a singular episode of television. In this case, the HBO document, well, not documentary, uh, historical um, drama. Sure. Chernobyl.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: This is episode four, titled The Happiness of All Mankind, which comes from a very ironic banner that some soldiers discover as they're doing animal control in the radioactive wasteland that is now Pripyat. Um, it says, our goal, the happiness of all mankind. Um, I don't think we got there yet.
1: Uh, we're getting close. Real I, close. I, I'm not Maybe sure next no- week.
0: I'm not sure Chernobyl brought us a step towards that towards <laughs> that
1: goal, um, but... What did you think of this, this fourth episode? I mean, I, I haven't seen an episode of the show that I didn't like yet. Uh, I think this episode is perhaps not quite as interesting to me. Um, the, the cleanup operation, I think, is inherently, uh, you know, the long-term war, as they, they sort of call it here, is not as interesting as the sort of immediate danger of the thing and uh, dealing with that. But I, I do think that it was a good episode. Um it, it does a lot of interesting themes, uh, thematic things, I think, um, kind of contrasting the people, you know, who had to go up on this rooftop and essentially give like get an entire lifetime's worth of radiation mm. in a minute and a half, uh-huh. uh, potentially giving up years of their lives, sacrificing in that way with the people who are sacrificing of their <laughs> emotional well-being uh, um, going out and killing these animals uh, yeah. in the the fields of
0: I'm certain they're also not getting healthy levels of radiation, too. Yeah, so absolutely. Uh, they're, which they're... would you uh, volunteer for, 90 seconds on the roof or six weeks shooting shooting dogs? In the uh, exclusion
1: zone? Whew. That's tough. That's real <laughs> tough. Uh, what if I get, like, a, a disease or something later in my life and I need to get x-rays? Mm-hmm. And I go, well, I oh, can't, because that done. minute and a half back in the 80s. You get one chest x-ray, one dental x-ray, <laughs> and you just burst into tumors. Yeah, how am I going to fix my teeth?
0: <laughs> well, you just... Uh, I, I, when you they know, start
1: falling out because of my radiation you pull sickness. Them. Yeah, you wait till they hurt and you pull them. It's the only safe way. Fair. Uh, I, I'd probably rather be the dog person. Yeah uh because you know that i i or the former well, dog
0: person because you're not a dog person after you get done with the oh no with, with this job
1: yeah i don't think you go home and like i hope none of these people have pets that'd be even doubly yeah hard
0: yeah i don't know because like i think there's probably some veterinarians that have some pretty high kill counts um sure as far as euthanasia and this is what this is this is uh for the animal's own good for humanity's own good like i was explaining because um my 12 year old came in uh and sat down and and, and started watching (laughs) this with me and we got to the thing about that and i explained "Was like, wait a second said you might be seeing something above your pay grade here i don't Uh so i I explained to him like you know what he's about to see uh and uh he it was it it, it shook him but i said you know he's like well i don't understand why would you do this i was like well if these dogs ran off and they went to someone's house and a person and they just taken the stray like this is a lethal you know this, this animal curled up in your lap could be irradiating you yeah um, it's, it's not, I don't, I this isn't like some mercy killing of like, oh, these animals are going to die from fucking thyroid cancer or they're going to have mutated puppies. It's, it's to protect, uh, it's to contain everything mm-hmm. in this area. So, so it's, it's, um, you know, somewhere between a mercy killing and a humanitarian mission, but still, if you're, if, if you're a lover of dogs or like that, you know, they, they paint this kid as a complete innocent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like he's just out of school. He's never really served in the military before, and he's being conscripted to do this task. And they're contrasting him with, like, um Afghanist, uh, you know, uh, veterans of the previous Afghanistan war, where yeah. the Afghanistans fought the Russians instead of the you know, United States. Um they, they, Even these guys who have killed people before, this wasn't necessarily a task that they relished or enjoyed and something that required a hell of a lot of free vodka to complete. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's just funny because, I mean, I don't want to belabor this because I want people being being mad at me, but I always I always find it somewhat interesting that we just got done watching an episode where men literally melted to death mm-hmm. in hospital beds, dying screaming. Uh, and and a lot of you know, the, I'd say what you will about the guys working at the plant. You know, maybe they're a bunch of incompetent buffoons and playing with the lives of millions, and maybe they weren't. But the firefighter didn't do anything wrong, and that was a bad way to go. Hell yeah. Uh, but the amount of, like, uh, empathy towards these these puppies, um, I, I get... I, it's admirable. I just always think it's funny that, like, you know, we'll go through an episode of Game of Thrones where infant children are butchered and get not a piece of feedback, and then dogs die
1: oh ghost lost an ear oh yeah yeah it is weird (laughs) it is weird that's super weird uh yeah the 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 dog stuff did not affect me nearly as much as the internet seems to be affected by it and i'm a dog lover i'm a
0: cat lover i'm a pet lover like i'm a happy person i would probably gut me to do this but um yeah i thought that, that that was i wish all of the world's problems were suffered by dogs because we would swiftly in them we would swiftly we would sw- <laughs> f- like we we would fix 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 the problems that's probably not true like i was gonna say homelessness
1: like there's tons of homeless dogs out there oh no yeah one gives a shit uh okay but uh, but i liked how you know all of that those themes kind of are are of a piece um and show you the sacrifices that everybody's making and also mm-hmm. the microcosm of the dogs and, and killing these animals also gives you a scope of of the scale of this thing sure like you know, you got to go out and and the the task, like the idea of hey, you have to kill every animal in this area. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even know where to begin. Like Hundred square miles, go door to
0: door extermination.
1: How how do I get, Like, how do I make sure that none of them are going to run out of this yeah. zone? Like, how do I find each and every one of them? Yeah. Apparently, it was like you know, hundreds of thousands of people who were conscripted into yeah. this kind of service. Yeah. Uh, it, it 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 would. I thought showing the dogs was both an emotionally effective and also. Uh, Effective from a narrative sense in in the fact that it gives you a microcosm of the scale of this whole cleanup operation. Yeah. Oh, they all... Because, like, that's... And it gave a face to it because
0: there's also a lot of, like, transitional scenes where you see, like, uh, big, massive tankers that are probably designed to fight forest fires or dumping... This chemical on the forest, which I'm, yeah, what I'm is guessing that? is to kill them, to kill the trees, to make them easier okay. to dispose of. Yes,
1: that makes sense.
0: Um, and then there's, like, these massive industrial bulldozers that are literally just burying the ground under itself, uh, yeah. just taking these green things and turning them into barren wastelands and these lunar scapes. And then you see these people, like, methodically going through the town and washing down all the buildings to get all the radiation contaminant into the ground where it's, like, you know, safer, I guess. Um, mm mm-hmm. And you th- those are all just kind of like kind of numbings um, and just kind of like you just you, you just get these glimpse of the scale of the project that's going on outside this reactor. And they needed that dog sequence. Um, yeah, I was kind of prepared for it, too. That's the other thing is I, I guess maybe I didn't find it as affecting is that. Um, that's one of the well-known stories of Chernobyl is like the, the tales of the liquidators that had to go and the, the whole, like, yeah, you, they're happy to see you and then you shoot them in the face. And, uh, so I was kind of steeled for it and, huh, um, that was not
1: well known to me. I didn't know anything about
0: it. So, so I was kind of ready for it. And then, um, as part of the podcast illuminated, they actually pulled their punches. They, there was a couple of, uh, pretty grim shit with those pets. Um, f- some final moments that they, uh, that, that they left off, um, Because they thought people would just be like, yeah, they'd fucking riot in the streets if you showed that, I guess. Yeah. Before we get into the episode further, I want to talk about housekeeping here in Bald Move on the Bald Move TV uh, podcast, the one you're listening to right now this Friday. There's a lot of good TV coming out. We're going to talk about as much as we can, but I know one thing that's going to be a point of emphasis is Good Omens, the new science fiction fantasy comedy series about the end of the world starring David Tennant as a demon, uh, Michael Sheen as an angel, and a ton of other people you recognize. Uh, looking like they're working together to stave off the apocalypse. That that debuts this Friday on Amazon Prime. Uh, Bald Movies. Uh, we saw Aladdin, the live-action Aladdin last week, had some fun with it. This week we're going to be seeing Godzilla, King of Monsters. Uh, that is available on the Bald Movies podcast. You can find that by searching for Bald Movies or wherever you're listening to this podcast right here. Uh, And then finally, we're doing something kind of special. We passed a milestone recently, 50 million downloads, 50 million podcasts downloaded on baldmove.com. And when we do that, we tend to celebrate with a little Q&A. Uh, If you want to ask us a question uh, for consideration for this special celebratory podcast, send it in to QA at BaldMove.com. And uh, that's something we think we're recording next week and we'll be releasing it to everybody. Uh, Actually, here on this BaldMove TV feed, that's where these things come out on. So you're in the right place for it. Just send in a question if you got it, to QA at BaldMove.com. Okay, do you want to talk about the episode in a more structured way?
1: Uh, Sure. Because we kind
0: of just been like getting into it. Um, I want to talk about the intro. Uh, okay. where the soldier was evacuated his babushka type um, who's played by Yosef uh, Atlan um, you might recognize him as Pip one of uh, Jon Snow's OG friends on the Night's Watch from Game of Thrones no oh, I did not also plays a molly boy on Hulu's Harlots um, that's uh, that's a uh, that's a uh, 18th century harlot speak for male prostitute huh. uh, but I, I liked it her speech where she's like you know I've been here for 82 years I've lived through the fucking Red October I've lived through Tsarsmen, Bolsheviks, I've been starved by Stalin, I've been yes yeah, screamed at by Nazis, I've been screamed at by Red uh, army soldiers and all my family's died. I'm here, I'm milking my cow. Nothing you can do. Like like it's so interesting that this is the thing that finally defeated this old woman. Uh-huh. I mean, this, this is her family farm. She's been on there for 82 years. And this, this, uh, this, this is the thing that finally, uh, you know, you didn't have a choice. Uh, you had to leave. I thought it was also effective to show him shooting the cow. Cause I thought it's like, Holy shit. He just blew this grandma's brains out. Like this uh-huh. is, but like, then that was a nice little fake out moment. I thought it worked pretty well. Um, and they mentioned that kind of the the holodomor that we talked about last week, which they talked. Did you um, listen to the the the, the company podcast?
1: Uh, I did this week, yeah.
0: So if you want to know about the the crazy puppy shit and anything more about the holodomor, they kind of go into the the causes of it, but the thing that I think that you need to understand is that this is all taking place in the Ukraine, which is this kind of like unique epicenter of suffering in the old Soviet union. Um, it reminded me the way they talked about it is reminds me of the way they talk about the Riverlands and game of Thrones, where it's this kind Mm -hmm. of like breadbasket that's in the middle. And like, anytime there's a war, they always get the brunt of it because they're the battleground. Um, and they're like, you know, they, they suffered from some man-made starvation and famines that killed millions of people from starvation. Uh, these are very tough people. And yet uh, they're going to have to leave because they're not tougher than gamma radiation. Sure. And then there's I, I just kind of threw all of the bulldozing of the earth and a poison of forest and a Washington town and kind of like the this discussion. Um, the main thrust of the episode was the roof situation. Uh-huh. Um, dealing with the three portions, and Alina, who had been emailing us the last few weeks, kind of hinted at this a few weeks ago, that they named the sections of the roof based off of women. Like the the, the nice one was Katya, and you only get 1,000 Rotkins per hour. Uh, the Nina was 2,000, but then Masha, which was the, the main roof that overlooked the exposed reactor core, gives you 12,000 Rot- Rotkins an, an hour, which would give you two months standing on that in full gear gives you a literal half-life two
1: minutes not two months. minutes
0: yeah what i say months you said months oh sorry yeah it's <laughs> a little bit different two, yeah two minutes um and they said it's what the most dangerous place on earth which maybe wonder like is that a, should that be like a like should that be something that like guinness keeps track of like what is the current
1: most dangerous place mm-hmm. on earth right now I mean, inside of an active volcano is probably more dangerous. Well, that's I'd... cheating. I mean, <laughs> why? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's like, a place on Earth. But but like that's like in,
0: like you you cannot stand for one nanosecond without dying. It's so okay. Yeah, you're right. That's the the place where you can stand for at least a second without dying. What uh, of those things? Yeah. Okay. Also, this should be man-made. I'm I'm already coming okay. up with the co- <laughs> yeah the a lot of qualifiers here. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, but they spent a lot of this episode trying to figure out how to to do this how to clean this 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 roof off because they can't contain it. The radiation is so strong on this roof that even building a structure over it would kill the people faster than they they could build it. Um, so they do like, there's this brilliant thing where they get the, the, the lunar rovers that Mm -hmm. the Russians built and they put a bulldozer on it. Yeah. Apparently this is real. Yes. This this actually happened. All this shit was real and stuff that I was kind of looking forward to them, uh, tackling, but they had these, these, these things that were in storage that were intended to go to the moon that the Russians obviously never did. And, uh, they used them to bulldoze off the roof and then they had this specially built, uh, West German police robot that they were hoping to use on Masha and it didn't work.
1: Yeah. Um 'cause cuz they lied about well, the the amount of radiation they needed it to withstand.
0: Yeah. I mean, what is the <sighs> This is this quintessential kind of so like this is the part like I'm not going to try to defend or but, like this is just what seems to be madness that like it seems like you would do one or the other you would either not re- reach out to the West for help if you want to keep it secret, or mm-hmm. if you did decide to reach out, you would actually give them the information that they need to help you.
1: Yeah, it's some weird saving face, like national pride kind of thing. It- but it's
0: it's so odd to be like, uh-huh. what are they going to tell the West Germans when they go, oh, your robot's fried? Uh, wow, this got a lot more than 2,000 Rodkins, guys. What the fuck's going on? Like, it's it's just such a weird decision to do. It's almost like cognitive dissonance put down an official like diplomacy mm-hmm. like we're going to ask you for help which we'll load the dude but we're going to they'll help we accept we know we know it's not going to work
1: or do you- yeah i like I, I don't know did they know it wasn't going to work are they like oh well we don't really know much about this radiation stuff let's say that it's lower and right you know Not cross our fingers, but, like, it'll be fine. Right. Like, you know, maybe
0: uh, those West Germans, they probably are underselling how (laughs) radiation-proof it is. I I, I don't know. I can't figure it out. And uh, it also leads to this interesting – so when you read, like, a book like 1984 that kind of tries to explain some of this, like, you know, real deep up its ass – you know authoritarian uh command structure yeah. and they talk about this cognitive dissonance all the time and i think it's also present when you see Sherbina like screaming and destroying this phone because he's so pissed and he's like calling out the kgb guy and saying he's a fucking fool he's going after gorbachev he's just being like it seems like he's just being fucking reckless uh but then at the end of the episode he is saying hey when you go to give this thing you yeah. better you you know like like I I, I, I I i'm i'm struggling to articulate what i'm trying to say here but it's essentially like it seems like w- what he did was way more risky than what um Legasov is contemplating doing
1: but yeah, i don't know no, i agree with so, 15 other reactors out there right you gotta you gotta worry you gotta you gotta get to the truth and you gotta right deal with that problem
0: but, like, it's less scary to scream at Gorbachev and the head of the KGB if you are yourself a high-ranking member of the party than it is to go outside of the Soviet Union to a Western uh, country and air all of your dirty laundry. Sure, Like, you know, one is just going to hurt people's feelings and everybody make up, at the other will get your family put in jail and you put in jail or get the bullet, etc. I don't know. I thought yeah. those were interesting things I was thinking about.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, this whole series is permeated with this idea, but the... Uh, you, you get the feeling very much through like Yulana, i think is her name the the scientist stand-in mm-hmm. woman uh going to come uh, uh, wherever she's going someplace with official documents and saying hey i need you know x a number of documents and they come back and give her one uh which which is, is redact- heavily redacted right the, the, part uh, the important parts yeah. yeah uh it, it it's like, god damn, if you just had the information available, uh-huh. if you would let a little bit of truth leak out here, right. problems could be solved. Things right. could be better. And right. I know, that's that's the whole fucking thing. That's yeah. that's everything about this scenario. Right? Is, it, it,
0: it's it, But it's also like, and this is a fictional example because I don't have one right to top, it, but it reminded me a lot of kind of like Indiana Jones at the last, like, you know, the... They got top men working on the Ark of the Covenant. Just oh, trust yeah. us. It's top men. And then it's just uh, in this giant warehouse being sat on. Right. This thing that could be something that single-handedly wins World War II. Or they're just going to put it in a crate and keep... Uh, and we'll get this feedback where it seems like if any, you get any bureaucracy large enough, you're going to run into this kind of shit. But yeah, mm. that was also stunning. The fact that their state library has a KGB librarian that his responsibility is to decide... People with permission from the Central Committee. Yeah, that's what's so fucked up. That's like, I've got a subpoena, and, and we're kind of dealing with this a little bit in country. It's sure. like, I've got a subpoena from Congress. Uh, I'm going to decide whether I'm going to obey it or not. Like, I've got this permission slip from the Central Committee, the highest uh, power in the land that says I, I can access this information, mm-hmm. and yet there's another layer on top that says nyet. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Especially since they chose to portray this guy as, like, he looks like he's just out of college, like he's 24, 25 and yeah. he, he's smugly telling this uh, experienced nuclear engineer what she can and can't see
1: right and then and, and by proxy the entire body of scientists that they have working <laughs> in the USSR yeah uh, and you get the impression that okay we know where Legasov ends up right we saw in the first scene of this series uh, you get the impression that this could be the thing this could be like it, and in a couple of different ways, maybe, you know, he goes and he tells the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I legitimately don't know how this turns out. So maybe he goes and tells the truth and the persecution that he receives from the government for doing so is what leads him to suicide at the end. But more, uh, I think more likely is that he has a personal thing, uh, a personal feeling of guilt mm-hmm. for not revealing quite enough of the truth Yeah, uh, that he... Lives with over the course of the next two years, which leads him to the suicide.
0: Yeah, because it's like the way they set this up. Because I, I personally don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't like I, I've read a bunch of this information. I presume this all gets out. Like whether it's on the tapes that he records or what. I, and I'm. Not, that, and I guess that's the the clue, right? Um, I know in real life this guy had a wife and kids, a family. Right. But they've sp- specifically chose to kind of portray him as this like uh, yeah, nebish little bachelor guy. So like that tells me that like maybe he's going to be portrayed as this hero that tells the truth in front of the world, mm-hmm. but right before he commits suicide, he has these lengthy tape conversations to somebody where right. so that that kind of leads me to believe that he does have this crisis of confidence and conscience and he doesn't he he, uh, he folds like uh, Sher- Sherbina says he will um,
1: yeah and it's, I think it's an interesting decision um, in retrospect now that we know that he's put to this decision to not show his family at all, Mm -hmm. I I think that's a mistake. Yeah. It it, it works in some ways. Like, I I understand the rationale for it, but I think from a human perspective, from an emotional perspective, this scene doesn't land nearly as hard when he's saying, they'll come after you, you know, they'll persecute your wife and children. Not seeing them, not knowing them, makes that less effective. Whereas, like, with the firefighter, right? We... We got even the smallest glimpse into their relationship, right. and it's instantly more effective. So oh, I, sure. I think it undermined this scene a little bit.
0: Yeah, but it's like when we were talking about JFK for one of our commission podcasts, and we talked about the sissy spacek role where she's just this hectoring yeah. wife. Like, Jim, Jim, why are you investigating uh-huh. the assassination of the president? You've got your – like, it's like, yeah, you got to have that. But also it reduces the wife to this kind of like – foolish hectoring shrew that like can't see her family against millions of people and it's like so but but there are better ways to do it yeah like maybe just you don't have those scenes but you establish that he's away from his wife, and that like yeah there's talking with her like just
1: having a conversation on the phone like her worried about him like much in the same way the firefighter's wife was like Yeah, you know, just being concerned.
0: But I wonder if it's going to like taking so because we haven't seen the final episode, which seems like it's going to evolve a lot of the legalese and trying to figure out the the blame and all that. Um, It would be interesting to just have like this, this. This is a political decision where it's like, do I tell the world the truth, which what is that actually going to accomplish? Maybe it puts pressure on them to fix the reactors, but also it also could just be like they stonewall and say i 'm a lying and i 'm a person non i 'm mm-hmm. a non person and i 'm going to go to a gulag and they 're going to be caught to prove that i 'm a bad they 're not going to fix the stuff, or I let Sherbina make a deal at the kgB where in 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 return for me being complicit and shielding the soviet union 's pride from humiliation that the rest of the world. The KGB agrees to acknowledge the flaw in the reactor internally and then work diligently to fix it. Yeah, like what is what is the more benefit to the world? Humiliating the the Soviet Union or fixing the problem <laughs> so this doesn't happen again? And that's a tough that's a tough call without wife and kids and uncles and sure aunts and and people resp- responsible for you. Like that's like you've got some that's some real fucking ethical moral issues you got to wrestle with. So
1: yeah, but I, I think the personal stakes are
0: i agree i because does does
1: legosov how much does legosov care about embarrassing the the soviets well it almost seems like he's a bit complicit
0: now because i was very shocked to find out that he knew about the flaw in the reactor now he was quick to say that like i even then i still didn't think that it could possibly lead to reactor exploding Yeah. yeah um but the idea that this uh, these rods tipped with graphite if they're fully extracted and then like if the core is right ready to blow and you insert that that first inch or two that's just carbon and it's not moderating shit and it's in fact pushing out the water and steam that is moderating the reaction mm. now you go from something that's 90% ready to blow to 105% ready and it's 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 done blows. um but i don't know um ah, god cuz like i keep I read this report this week because, you know, we, we kind of got them back and forth. You talked about how you kind of change your mind on nukes and nuclear power, and I've kind of changed my mind on nuclear power. But I read this article in The Washington Post this week that uh, talks about the study in, in The Lancet, which is just like really prestigious um, and, and like one of the oldest medical journals in the world. And I had did a comprehensive look at the health impacts of like um, coal power versus nuclear power in Europe, which nuclear power, I think, uh, my understanding is used in Europe a lot more than the United States. And the conclusion of the study is, and I'll quote, compared to nuclear power, coal is responsible for five times as many worker deaths from accidents. Uh, This is a a study in 2007, I believe. So this includes Chernobyl, but not Fukushima. Mm. Responsible for five times as many worker deaths, 470 times as many deaths due to air pollution among members of the public, and more than 1,000 times as many cases of serious illnesses, uh, according to this study. So, like possibly in the worst case scenario killing an entire continent versus steady state injuring 500 times a thousand times as many civilians just by pumping this shit into the air Mm -hmm. it's a fucking tough problem and i don't i i mean i i i i I don't know how to solve it and it's i'm into state now where like i don't even know that i can believe an authoritative statement that this is safe and it's it's it it can't possibly do that (laughs) because like I might like. What does that even fucking mean? Is that like? Is it won't even hit it if a tornado hits it? it won't even hit it if some idiot steers a jetliner into it? It won't. Right, it won't. Tsunami. It won't kill a. It, it, it won't kill a continent if someone takes a, like and an explodes it. Like I, you know, like I, I did. I believe that like scientists say, yeah, if this is run correctly, it won't. Or even if a natural disaster hits it, but like, what if some fucking crazy person wants to kill a continent? You know, sure. I. I, I that's that's can't the shit. do that
1: with a coal plant.
0: Yeah, like you can fuck up a coal plant and it'll take out power but it's not going to explode and and irradiate an entire continent. And that's that's where I'm I'm at with
1: <laughs> Yeah, I I think it's a it's a quandary for sure. So, um but anyway, speaking of things that will kill you, I thought yeah. it was hilarious during this episode <laughs> in a sort of morbid grim way. Uh the the number of people and the number of times they show people smoking and I get it. Like, look, yeah. this is the '80s and in Soviet, the Soviet Union. Like, a lot of people smoking, but yeah. like, who gives a shit? Like, these people are being heavily irradiated. Right. A cigarette is no, not going to kill them as fast as the air they're breathing.
0: I will. I, yeah, I, yeah. I was gonna say, I'll say that. Like, if I was stationed at, uh, at Chernobyl as a soldier, I'd <laughs> smoke like a fucking chimney. I'd drink all the vodka. because oh, yeah. Like you know fuck it mate you're going for that mr burns equilibrium where <laughs> right. the radiation to alcoholism and the lung cancer is in exact exact balance so nothing can get an advantage uh-huh. um I, I thought it was pretty powerful that uh when um Kamyuk, uh talked about you know she threw in the face the wife uh, this ludia this wife of the firefighter um and she says that you know we see her uh, four months later, and she's visibly pregnant, and then months elapse, and now she's giving—it's it's kind of in the early stages of winter, and she's giving birth. We find out her baby girl uh, only lived for four hours, which probably means that her baby was really fucked up to do this radiation. And uh, they mentioned that, like—and I, I don't know if this is true or not—that the, the, all the radiation was absorbed by the baby, and it saved the mother. Um, I, I thought that was a really powerful moment where she's saying— You know, we're living in a country where babies are absorbing radiation to save their mothers. Uh, We can't afford not to tell the truth about this. And Mm -hmm. it does seem like she's a type that would like without these people intervening, I'm sure the KGB would have disappeared her at the very least or sent her to a work camp or something. You know, like she's she's already kind of made that decision where we saw a KGB guy roll up on her and act tough. And then she ended up in prison cell. So like she's almost kind of made that moral decision herself. So I thought I, I was kind of waiting for Shurbe- like for her to
1: yeah. maybe push
0: back on Sherbina. Like look, motherfucker, I already have gone. You guys saved me from it, but
1: but it's weird because she's an amalgam of a whole scientific yeah, community. Right. So like you can't quite do the same things to her and intimidate in the same ways. Yeah, it would be. I, I don't know. This is some of the embellishment they've done with the story, yeah, to to make this community represented by a single person, and it doesn't quite work. Mm-hmm. But but it narratively, I think it works a lot better than uh, maybe some other solutions. Yeah. Um, I can't wait to see this Diatlov put on
0: trial. Yeah. Because he's just such a. I'm, but the thing is, is like, he's a real shit. But. He's also a product of this system because everything he says is right. Like truth, mm-hmm. lie, it doesn't matter. They're looking for a scapegoat. They're looking for someone. The, the, the people that are really responsible for this, because how the hell could any of the persons at that plant know that what pushing the button? I, I
1: mean, because, yeah, yeah, it's the, that withholding of information. Certainly.
0: They're essentially like bringing this reactor to the brink of exploding, but they think they have a fail safe that they hit the button and it will stop everything. Yeah. So like yes, it's super irresponsible to push the reactor to that point. But like if you think you got a safety s- switch, mm-hmm. then
1: it's like jumping out of an airplane with a parachute on your back. Right. You, right. You've got the parachute. Yeah. But yeah, what yeah, if that's, the what if the parachute turns out to be like a lead weight? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah.
0: So it's 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 maybe not the smartest idea to jump out of a perfectly working aircraft. But yeah, if you have a if you didn't know they packed your chute
1: with lead, yeah, then you were fucked from the beginning so yeah it's not your fault
0: yeah turns out all those uh those red the the red army soldiers were smuggling their egg baskets back home and the parachute (laughs) boxes and Uh things 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 got confused um we kind of talked about the animal control and like the uh sequences in kind of like um just in a macro way Uh Um, but i thought there was a kind of interesting like i really loved uh the music of this show continues to fucking slay Um, I really liked all the the, the music that they played behind the Russian camp scenes, uh, getting to see like what a Russian style latrine looks like, how apparently a lot of these soldiers were bought off with just massive amounts of free vodka. Yeah. Uh, I also looked up and as far as I can tell... Uh, 800 rubles is about 30 bucks oh, in today's US dollars. Now, what does it buy you though? That still could have been a lot of money in the Soviet Union, but like yeah. it puts an upper limit. Like this isn't like a $50,000, yeah, yeah. you know, hero reward benefit. This is kind of like
1: and this is not give your life money.
0: Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um and uh, I thought that was inter- interesting. I also wondered I thought that they were playing when they, sh- they introduced this Bacho and Garo, these, like, really tough, you know, experienced soldiers that have been hardened by their experiences in Afghanistan. Um, I thought they were going to go with the typical, like, oh, fucking new guy, what the hell. But, like, I felt like um, this Bacho guy was, like, surprisingly, like, gentle and um, uh, protective of this young man's feelings. Like right, Like, uh-huh. not even, like, they went through some shit. It's just like, oh, you're uh inside of my detail okay i'm gonna go roll i'm gonna get you an egg basket i'm gonna tell everybody not to fuck with you and everybody's afraid of me for some reason i thought that was um an interesting choice yes yeah. it's, it's it's not what i'm used to seeing in these kind of scenes
1: no i think it it's good because it humanizes these liquidators yeah you know you don't want these liquidators to just be killing machines right otherwise you don't understand the cost the toll that it's taking on them yeah 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 uh, I also
0: like where he says, "Don't point this at me," uh, but you can point at this other guy, and like <laughs> literally the next scene, he 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 immediately sweeps that Garo guy with his with his what <laughs> rifle,
1: uh-huh.
0: um, and I, I don't know to talk about like you know you think oh you kill your first person or whatever, and you think it's never going to be you versus is you all along. Um, I thought that was uh, all really good, and and uh, kind of how. There are some aspects of this, which this is kind of true of almost any military kind of expedition, where like when they're just having lunch in like, you know, in the middle of the city square, it's like they're living like kings, you know, they're eating well, they got free vodka and and they're enjoying the night. But also they're killing pets and they're living in a miasma of radioactivity. Um, But I, I don't know. It's a really cool slice of life. Of just dudes hanging out that we haven't really seen so far in the series, and I thought that was uh, it, that's the thing is like once you get away from like the action and you see like people walking down the streets, everything seems just so fucking normal and relatable, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I I'm a big fan. I, I grew up reading Tom Clancy books, and like Tom Clancy's like his favorite analogy was to uh, think of like the Russians as like Klingons, like their culture is so different and the thing you know that they're, they're so understandable, but like that's bullshit. Like if I walk down a Klingon street, guarantee. It, it wouldn't remind me of home where like a lot of these kind of like, you know, I kind of grew up in a rundown rural community and you know, I, I, I felt that there was a lot of stuff that was relatable there. Yeah. Um, anything else we, I, I think
1: we've kind of covered the whole episode. Well, I want to zoom in on the roof. Okay. Um, yes, because I've got yes. a lot of like, first of all, I had a big question. Like why the fuck are they worried about these roofs? Um, the, I, I did not understand that the idea was to simply cap the reactor itself. Mm-hmm. I thought they were going to douse the whole damn site in concrete mm-hmm. and, and lead. and like. Yeah. So, so I was thinking, what good does it do to just simply move it a few feet into the crater? Right. Uh, and, and they don't do a good job explaining this in the episode, I don't yeah. think.
0: They said that they have to build... I, I don't know, because like, I guess if you are familiar with the concept of sarcophagus, the fact that they'd have to build uh, a containment... I don't know how much fucking cement it would take to do that. It's like feels like it'd be like a, a Hoover Dam style project to just fully encase yeah. that thing in cement. But yeah, I I I yeah. I didn't notice that because again, I'm familiar with all right. That stuff. But I think
1: they're bringing a lot of assumptions in here, right? um
0: but, and- the, but they need to build a structure over this, and the idea that the you can't build the roof because the radiation's too high.
1: Yeah, so I, I understood, like, why they why it was so dangerous to go out on these roofs, because when you got graphite out there, I look, it's the re- part of the reactor core. It's highly irradiated. I get all that. Yeah. Um, they didn't do a great job explaining why they needed to clear the roof, but everything else I thought was great, like, when they brought out the moon rover kind of thing, I was like, wow, I can't believe that they actually did this stuff. Um,
0: and, like, a soft grinning about it and, like, Sherbina like, calling him on it. That, I thought that was all
1: pretty yeah, good. Yeah, and then, so I... I was reading around somewhere. I can't remember if it was on Reddit or on our forums or, or what, but I I found out that there is documentary footage, actual real documentary footage of the people on these rooftops mm-hmm. clearing them off mm-hmm. um, that was taken on the site Yeah. at the time. Uh, and I went and I watched it. It's called, you can look it up, called like Chernobyl 3828, which yeah, is the that number was one of, of people the,
0: who died. That's one of the ones that we, uh, in the first two weeks, I was that given was a lot of sources. Yeah, yeah as one of them
1: uh for sure but i hadn't checked it out until uh, now but it has the actual footage of the people and i could not believe how accurate they got uh-huh. this like they studied that footage and they nailed it to a t to the color of the color and kind of clothing that these yeah. people are wearing the, yeah. the the makeshift lead suits that they've got on that they're, they're, the the they're, speech they're, yeah. that they're given before they go out onto this roof uh it, it was startlingly startlingly accurate and more more crazy to me was the fact that that footage existed at all yeah that they I, I, and i guess like that was sort of a tutorial right the the documentary was a tutorial for the people who would come after mm-hmm. they they recorded the first few people to go out there and do this job yeah. and then showed that footage to these other recruits right
0: because that's the that's a unique thing it's like one of these things where it's an important job that is strenuous but also skillful and precise Mm -hmm. and you get 90 seconds to do it and then you can never do it again yeah you can't practice it you can't get good at it you can't like oh this guy's like he's he's leading the charts and graphite removal like you you get one shot at it you stumble through as best you can um, and I wondered like, man, maybe like I was like backseat Soviet driving, like maybe you set up like a soccer field. That's like the same dimensions, and you put <laughs> right, some Concrete right. blocks and you say, Run okay, some here's your, here's your fucking 50 pound lead apron now. Cause that's the other thing is I was like, is this really that hard? But then I'm thinking like everything they're wearing is lead. And I'm thinking, like, you know, if you're at the dentist getting an x-ray, if you're wearing that and you're wearing lead boots and lead gloves and le- whatever, that fucking lead helmet that covered your spine and stuff, like, uh-huh. you, you try to adjust for that. And also, like, remember, um, you know, some of these pieces were, like, 40, 50 pounds, 40, 50, 60 pounds. Uh, kilograms.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know what that translates to, but, I yeah. think
0: it's, like, isn't it, uh, like, uh, kilograms, like, 2.2 pounds? So whatever it is, you kind of double it, and that's the weight. And you, can, you have to manipulate it with shovels and shit and they they had them early like i i thought it was cool like the two guys just wordlessly working together yeah. like um w- and they because this is a one shot deal they used f- almost 4000 people right to, rotating in and out to do that night getting their your 90 seconds and then 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 they're they're done uh um, incredible in that,
1: in that documentary that tremble 3828 they they said that some people given that they had some kind of experience after their 90 seconds would mm-hmm. actually stay out longer really? in order to preserve the newbies who would have to come in. Interesting. Uh, and, and they talked about the fact that the more you clear from that roof, the less irradiated the roof becomes. That's true, yeah. And it gets the more, progressively
0: less dangerous over time.
1: Right, right. And I, I don't think that you know they said, okay, well now it's a Eight thousand ronkins per hour right. and now we can send you out for two minutes. They right. they didn't do any of that, but that reminds the me of people the catch, who went first got like, like the catch twenty two
0: where you gotta do twenty five combat missions and now, right, well, right. now you gotta do thirty. Now you gotta do thirty five. It's yeah. like
1: uh let's always keep this dose at the maximum.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh yeah, that stuff was was really cool. I liked the kind of like light comedy we got from uh <laughs> like Shirbina suggests, like can we drop boiling lead and the guy's like are we really talking about <laughs> boiling lead in a helicopter? And also, it's lead. Uh-huh. And he's like, well, can then, then the other guy comes out. Can we shoot, can we shoot him with exploding, exploding bullets? bullets? And Then Strabina's I had to turn to be like, oh, yeah, fucking let's start that roof on fire. Because it was so easy to put out the first time. <laughs> right. So good. Yeah, no good solutions here. That uh, last... So, I didn't think to film it. But, like, I thought they said in the podcast that this was exactly 90 seconds like they didn't cheat and i found this scene tense as fuck because i'm like every single time a guy fell or every time a guy like lingered looking over the edge i'm like jesus christ what or the guy caught his boot on the graphite so is that going
1: to come of anything because they 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 focused on the fact that his boot was compromised i Um, don't think so i think that's just a, a we know yeah we know what happens to guys who get skin contact with this graphite right. because we saw the firefighter pick it up. Yeah, I wonder because like I
0: I know that it's a pr- shockingly how f- few of the liquidators died or even died as direct results of the radiation exposure. Yeah. Uh, that they, they got at Chernobyl. Um I mean the guys who showed up in the first days in the fire like those guys are fucked. Mm-hmm. But the people like in this this massive relief effort it does seem like that the Soviets were f- as careful with human lives as they could possibly be um and it didn't didn't feel like that and i I felt like um you know last week i called out say hey this guy's somewhat famous and a pretty good he's probably going to be back and like that guy is a really good soviet general because he he definitely is 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 threading that and like the fact that he took the time to personally shake everyone's hands and you know thank them for their service i I thought that was pretty pretty cool pretty powerful
1: yeah one of the things they left me um Wondering through the course of this episode was like, okay, how would this German police robot be any more radiation resistant than the rovers? And like, yeah, I, I had so many questions around like exactly why they thought any of these crazy plans would work the way they should, mm. or uh, just a lot of unanswered questions. But by the end of the episode, and I think this is sort of the pattern of the show is they don't give you a lot of answers up front. They want you asking questions. They want you thinking about it. And then by the time they get to the end of the episode. You will have those answers. Right. And I think next week is also, you know, a- as a m- more macro arc is going to be that on the Chernobyl scale. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, you know, we're going to figure out exactly why the reactor blew. Well, we kind of did right. in this episode. But we're going to see, like, okay, what was the political right. fallout? No pun yeah, intended. yeah. yeah,
0: yeah it's interesting because the one thing I guess I'm worried about for this last episode is that perce- being perceived by the general audience as kind of a letdown because like, how do you go from melting faces and shooting dogs to a fairly b- yeah. dry bureaucratic legal process? Um, you know, I'm personally
1: excited, but yeah, I can I, yeah. I get that.
0: Yeah, because that's like you know how do you keep a narrative like momentum going? And maybe they mm-hmm. don't, and it's just like, well, this is this is the facts, and you, this is like kind of like a an episode long denouement about, uh, yeah. like you said, the political fallout. Uh, and I'm in in for that. And I guess like I don't know because I, I guess if I'm an average audience member, I made it this far. You've got this seething, burning anger at how this happened and holding people responsible. So. There is a bit of, there is, there is a bit of just, you know, like if you were excited watching the Rainmaker wanting to see uh, a fucking corrupt insurance company be be brought to justice, like this is
1: like that on a global scale. Yeah, it's tough to be mad at any individual person, even Dyatnoff. It's like, yeah, well, did he know? Like, you know, he was a second, he was a third shift guy who wasn't supposed to be on duty anyway. None of these people were supposed to be involved. It got all fucked up. And they did the best well, they the could with the situation, but... You can't
0: blame him, I think, wholly for an accident, but you can certainly blame him for... The, the deaths aftermath. and the, the immediate, the Im- yes. like... Because, like, there's no reason those firefighters should have... Or maybe they would. Maybe they needed to. I, I don't but know. But, I, I
1: mean, at the same time, it's like... Because spraying if,
0: water in that reactor didn't fuck, fuck all the first day or two. But if
1: this guy legitimately does not believe that the reactor could uh-huh. explode, uh-huh. that there's no way an RBMK our, our reactor, or whatever it's called, can explode, uh-huh. yeah. why would he assume... Why would he believe it when people when three people when were three guys explaining? run in
0: and say I've seen the reactor burn? I don't know. Like I, I don't want to let him off the hook too much.
1: Yeah, I, I mean he's not he's not completely innocent here. I, yeah. I agree with that. But he, the the higher levels are what is the problem here, right? It's yeah. it's the entire system that they've set up within uh, mm-hmm. this society, uh, one of keeping information from the people who need to know it the most. Yeah.
0: But you do. I, I do wonder, like, if hit the first phone call made was, "Holy shit, we're actually seeing like, like if, if he, it, the, the way he sold it to the higher ups, so you could get a quicker, more accurate response." Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I, I do find that I'm holding him personally responsible. But you're right. Like, the real villains, the people that need to get the bullet, are mm-hmm. probably some senior KGB officials, some Politburo uh, officials. Uh, People in the what, whatever the nuclear regulator, like there's there's definitely probably a few dozen bureaucrats that need to die, and they're not going to. And that it sounds like yeah, what you know I've if I if well. I recall, Jared Harris's speech in the first LegoSoft speech in the first that like you know like this guy's going to get I think ten years in prison yeah and he's like yeah they deserve but like the people that 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 really deserve it um and and even here like who made the decision that the the waste of time uh and like you know they, they made it clear as like you know we are dumping twice the levels of radioactive uh of radioactivity from hiroshima every hour how many days were wasted waiting on that fucking joker robot from western western germany and like who made the decision that because those like i don't i don't know how many deaths and cancer rates and thyroid and like what a, but like yeah that's someone who that should be held responsible they're not gonna mm-hmm. so i don't know uh I, I am in for because I, I, you know, but it's one of those things where it's like I got a justice boner and I know it's going to, I'm going to get justice blue balls because for sure it, it, justice is not going to be done. The, uh, the fucking show already told me that that's not going to happen. So yeah. it's, it's I guess, who pays the price, what happens to com- um, this Kamyuk uh, com- com- uh, lady, what happened, you know, who is the stand in for all Russian scientists and nuclear physicists and,
1: and, and like a story of, you know, personal complicity. Like, can a know. system. It perpetuate itself if the people are under that system are not cooperating right like can Legasov, tell the truth and bring shed some light on this right uh and and if enough people stand up to it is it's like the lives of others right i mean we, we mentioned that you, you mentioned that last week mm-hmm. uh which is talking about you know, like like 1980s berlin uh and yeah it, it's the same kind of thing like if the people are unwilling to cooperate with the the Corrupt system mm-hmm. that is shackling them. Mm-hmm. That system can't exist, right. and and so it's kind of on everyone personally to not go along with it. And that's why I think it's going to be so sad when what I think is going to happen is Legosof is going to dampen the truth here, right? And that's uh, literally
0: true of everyone on Earth. Like we're all collectively yeah. responsible for whatever evils our society is doing. And every single society, as far as I'm aware, I don't know, maybe there's a perfect one out there. Uh, like I it's, I saw a Reddit thread where the people were trying to assign blame for like the the climate change and like uh is like is there anyone not complicit in someone said the bantu tribe of africa because they essentially just do nomadic herding like uh maybe their cows do the methane burps or whatever but like yeah there's or these uncontacted tribes in new guinea and stuff like the these are the the innocents um uh but but yeah like we all like to by the, the fact that we you know sit and watch hbo and listen to podcasts and 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 don't get active and things we probably should get active we're all complicit and it's like um you know there's always uh in every system there's this this kind of boiling point where the people's fear of losing their jobs or their prosperity or getting a bullet is overcome by just the mass injustice and and uh and 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 human misery that they're confronted with and that's when things change it's just like you know yeah. it's 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 Change happens when the fear of change is less than the discomfort of the present, and that happens Mm -hmm. individually
1: and collectively at society, and and Chernobyl is kind of a story of that. Which is probably the perfect segue into what is no doubt a socio-politically charged feedback section we get that but we have some we have some expert testimony this time which i oh, was gratified okay. awesome um, hey before we get the
0: feedback i want to talk about the club at club.baldmove.com uh one great feature is ad free feeds now Bald Move has always always traditionally been pretty light on the advertisements um which is a problem if you're a podcast network uh, but it's been a kind of a benefit to listeners, obviously. Uh, people don't like ads. We usually have just a single club ad. Uh, but that's probably going to change. There's going to be more ads coming down the pike. And if that is something that is negative, uh, negative for you, just know that one of the features of Club Bald Move, and you can find this at club.baldmove.com, is completely ad-free feeds. So we don't have any advertising. We strip out all the club ads, all of the ads for other products and stuff, and you just get the content that you came there And now have paid for. So if you want to get in on that, you can go to club.baldmove.com. There's a ton of other extra content and features and stuff that you can peruse on that page. And you can also start a free 30-day trial by going to club.baldmove.com. So let's get started with feedback. TV at baldmove.com if you'd like to get in on the final uh, Chernobyl mailbag, which will be next week when we wrap this series up. Uh, First up, Trey B., Last time we saw Jamie Sives, uh, Sives, he was taking a dagger to the face from the Kingslayer himself. Flash forward a few years later and jump over to our universe circa 1986 and we find our ride or die homie taking a metric fuck ton of radiation to the face at the behest of two Soviet pin pushers, R.I.P. Jory, uh... Uh, Castle slash Sitnikov. So this is the guy who got his. You know he had was forced to look upon the blazing reactor. Yeah, that's uh, Jory Castle, who's one of uh, Ned Stark's bannermen in the first season of Game of Thrones. Ent-
1: entirely forgettable. Yeah, uh,
0: I he doesn't look him with, at a all. Must, with, with a mustache and yeah. not long hair. He and not wearing. Uh, I mean, he could have.
1: Yeah, he could have had his Stark garb on and, and long have hair, and I yeah. wouldn't have fucking known he was. He
0: looked out of place in, in <laughs> a the, little a nuclear bit reactor. But uh, so, they, yeah, it's like it's amazing how many fucking uh, Game of Thrones, like you said, the the, the Tarkanoff guy was Dagmar Clefjaw. Um, lots and lots of uh, Game of Thrones pros here. Uh, Alina writes uh, with a general question. Have you a chan- had a chance to listen to the episodes of the Companion podcast? So she's talking about the official Chernobyl ones uh, the HBO is releasing. Do you think this is specific to Chernobyl or is HBO going to start doing this type of content for other shows? Is oh, yeah. This- is this something you would actually like to see more of? Uh,
1: no, because I'm they're a direct competitor. <laughs> um, uh, it, they will absolutely 100% do more of this. They yeah. are touting HBO now not as a visual, uh, like a visual streaming service, but a streaming service. Full stop. Uh, that's audio. That's video. I think this is the first time that you
0: I, I, I remarked on like off air last week, but I was. I think last week's the first time you could actually listen to the podcast in its entirety from HBO Now. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's like an extra feature. You go, and it's like, oh, it's a 45 yeah. minute podcast, and it shows like an animated, slightly lightly animated version of the show's logo while the guys are just having a conversation. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm thinking, like, this is interesting for the, the market of podcasts because, like, you know, my father, who's never listened to a podcast in his life, um, I could see him like, oh, special features. I'm really into HB and like now he's listening to podcast, doesn't even know it. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I think that now we'll say this for official products is that it, shows like Chernobyl is a fucking sweet, sweet spot because mm-hmm. this is a very A plus production with almost nothing that you can criticize. And it's it's very mm-hmm. well done. And they're talking. There's a lot of historical detail because a lot of these official podcasts come off as just back slapping, dick sucking and sure. ha- cannot talk about any obvious issues that fans are talking about. Like, so whether they're going to have as much success with podcasts going forward is going to entirely depend on how good the product is.
1: Yeah, it honestly has to be less of a critical analysis of their show and more of a behind the scenes look at their show. I yeah. think um, like I'm, I'm totally fine when writers get on a microphone and talk about what they were thinking while they were writing scenes. Uh-huh. And, you know, criticism aside of, of maybe those scenes. Uh huh it's still valuable information i think right, right uh and it's worth listening to but the yeah i mean the direct compet- competition idea comes from simply ear time like mm-hmm. people only have a certain amount of ear time mm-hmm. and if they're listening to the chernobyl podcast they can't listen good. to our of tv chernobyl yeah. podcast so uh yeah but i think it's really cool Th- that podcast is very good peter sagal mm-hmm. uh he's he's a, a very good host um, he seems genuinely interested in the material and the Mazen,
0: or Mazin, uh the the show writer um is just ex- extraordinarily i mean first of all he's um he's very well spoken and engaging and yeah. he just knows a nose of shit and he's got to put a lot you of can thought tell this, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh,
1: i I will say that Peter segel sometimes ends up asking very fucking obvious questions like right. that first episode I rolled my eyes several times when he mm. you know asked him what makes something ironic like he basically right. asked the guy to explain the definition of irony to him yeah I'm like what okay whatever uh but yeah i, I listened to this latest one and it's good. it's also
0: crazy this other thing that like i find crazy is that uh and i think this is the official position of hbo is that like their podcasts are held to a different standard than the show themselves like this is a show where people are getting melted and people are saying fuck this fuck that but they mm. this podcast is rated pg easily um like they don't oh, swear yeah. like I, I think that's weird and i we did like a semi we did an official podcast for hbo what was that for what the leftovers hell was that for the leftovers mm-hmm. and yeah that they, they 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 asked us not to. and i'm like that's so fucking
1: weird it is and i i don't want to say like oh every podcast that you has to swear no like if, but if they, these people, people just should don't talk not like humans and not npr hosts oh no, i mean peter sagal peter sagal is fucks and is a, and he, he
0: says fuck i guarantee in his private life
1: Oh, I'm sure he does, but hmm. he's one of those hosts, you know, he's a professional talk show host. So,
0: okay. Uh moving on, Paul dropped a line that says uh Netflix's uh nature documentary Our Planet and the latest episode or at least episode 8 shows Chernobyl as it is today. So, if you want to kind of see Pripyat and and how it looks, there's a high def uh 4K documentary waiting for you on Netflix. Uh Chris, so this is uh we got we are going to close the podcast with three people that have um Some informed uh, opinions on the things we've been talking about the last few weeks. Uh, We'll start out with Chris, who says, I was a nuclear engineer in the United States Navy just a few years after Chernobyl, serving aboard various nuclear-powered submarines. During our training, we studied Chernobyl disasters as well as the radiological effects of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but Chernobyl was fresh on everyone's mind. That being said, I find myself experiencing this miniseries radically different than I think a lot of the audience is. To me, the question regarding communism or socialism versus whatever we have here in the United States isn't the point. I find myself emphasizing with the men and women dealing with disaster. I also empathize with the people who are currently dealing with Chernobyl. I'd like to acknowledge the fact that to this day, there's still a cleanup effort, mostly monitoring. But there is a whole network of people that are maintaining Chernobyl. My feeling is that this is a story of mankind's hubris. Sometimes humans are too flippant about what is and isn't possible. Sometimes we refuse to ask what's the worst case scenario regardless of perceived feasibility of the chain of events that must occur to bring about that case. I'm still an engineer and I sit in many design reviews where someone asks, what if XYZ all happened at the same time? And response is almost always an immediate, that's impossible. (laughs) Well, yeah, but what if it does happen? What will the result be? Because if the answer is the entire Asian continent is uninhabitable for a hundred thousand years, I really think it should weigh heavily on the decision to move ahead. Sure. So I appreciate that perspective, and it's it's from an informed one. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, again, big Tom Clancy fan. They take the nuke stuff seriously <laughs> in a fucking Navy, especially aboard uh, submarines. Yeah. Um, I mean that's that's like I said, it's it's all. If we don't use nukes right now, because I don't think other than hydro, which we've talked about, like hydro if if you've got a good place to build hydro, then build it. But ninety nine percent of the great places to build hydro on the planet's already been built. Um because it's literally me? free power. Uh the, the only steady state green power we got is nukes. And you know, the response is all it's not just maybe the continent's uninhabitable, but also if we continue to build and burn coal for another fifty years, what's the impact of that? And and honestly, I fucking don't know, and the thing that really annoys me is that now I've lost my confidence in even authoritative authoritative answers. Like if I, I saw if I saw a sixty minute documentary on HBO next week that talked about it, that, that talked about ten of the world's leading nuclear physicists and they all swear on a stack of Bibles and fucking Newton's uh, original princi- Principia of <laughs> Mathematica or whatever, yeah, and they say it's 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 fucking safe, it can never ever ever go wrong. I'm still going to be like, yeah, but. And I hate that. I really fucking hate that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I don't know. Maybe we wait for fusion. Uh, that's got to be safe, right? The power the power that burns at the heart of her star.
1: That seems <laughs> reasonably safe. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because um, it's the thing. Is like I don't even like I'm not even bothered by the waste aspect. Like I feel like that's that's a solvable problem. What to do with this highly radioactive substance if it's concentrated? What to do with it, etc. Mm-hmm. But like, just how do you keep this thing from killing? lots and lots of people on the in the slim chance it goes wrong that's the that's what i'm struggling with um Di- diogo p which is better known as joe pine tree in our forums wrote in i thought i'd contribute some to some of the discussion around the organizations and political groups of chernobyl i'm not a nuclear physicist but i am a professor of sociology so hopefully this helps The phenomenon being depicted in a series of a small but not necessarily qualified group of people having an outsized power, even in areas that they do not comprehend, is not something unique to socialism or capitalism or any other ism you may want to think of. It's a phenomenon long described within sociology and organizational science, the iron law of oligarchy. The idea is that organizations, no matter how committed to democratic principles, almost always end up being governed by an oligarchy. There's been a lot of research since the creation of the term that has shown that this is not necessarily inevitable, but for the most part, it is still closer to the norm than not. This is how it works. In any organization, there are thousands of decisions that need to be made, and it's impossible for all members to pipe in equally. Imagine if every time you had to decide on whether to clean the bathrooms or replace the light bulbs or do an inventory, every member of the organization had to weigh in and get involved. Simply be too cumbersome. So we delegate powers to certain groups of individuals. These individuals will be put in close contact with others who also have been delegated powers. As such, these people have the power to not only decide what information can get out, but the power where they can use it to curry favor with others and vice versa. Those without power, either due to lack of or apathy, lack of knowledge, etc., will have a hard time holding those in power accountable. And here's the thing: we don't even need to go to extreme examples like Bofol that you talked about last week. Uh, that is not in any way unique to totalitarian regimes. Uh, for example, Wikipedia. Wikipedia was designed to be explicitly open-source, democratic, and collective. Research has conclusively shown that as wikis get larger, the more the early people involved in that wiki have total power and control over it. And he links to a research paper that I will link. I'll link all this in the show notes because it's fascinating. Uh, To quote the study above... We find strong evidence that, on average, as wikis become larger, a small group, present from the beginning, monopolizes position of formal authority in the community and accounts for more administrative activity, while also using their authority to restrict contributions from other experienced community members. The bigger the wiki gets, the more cacophonous or noisy it becomes, and so the more the wiki will rely on its administrators and moderators to control content, and the more currying favor with this moderators and admins determines the content. The end result is the motivated heavy user who has gained the favor of the admins can then use this position to push a widely disputed view of, for example, grammar on Wikipedia, despite the protestations of experts, as the example in the following link shows. He links to another paper that goes like a blow-by-blow account of how this user giraffe data single-handedly forced Wikipedia not to use the phrase comprised of. Because he thought it was grammatically incorrect, even though that is not the consensus opinion of expert grammarians. Anyway, um, so he continues, I'm sure that some listeners will say that democracy can hold people accountable if they engage in this sort of behavior. But as this example shows, even in situations widely devoted to democratic processes, the complexity of real world problems means people delegate power to a few and that certain few will then use that power to maintain their positions and influence. Real-world political examples include the White House director of social media uh, is currently Trump's former caddy, Obama's ab- ambassador to Japan, was a major donor with no foreign policy experience, and Bush's FEMA-, FEMA director was famously a guy whose previous job was commissioner of the International Arabian Horse Association. Uh if aware of it, most people on either side of the political spectrum would likely oppose, oppose this sort of cronyism, but we live in a world where it's just too cumbersome to vote on who gets to be ambassador to Japan and prioritize things over who gets to be some mid-level cabinet member in any government. Uh, Chernobyl obviously is a more extreme version of that, but by nature of the complexity of organizations, those members of organizations have some power and are willing to use that power to benefit the elites and become entrenched by occurring favor with those elites. Um, so, this does seem like a, like a well-studied uh, problem, and maybe I think Diego's suggesting that like instead of like focusing on minutia of socialism over capitalism, whatever system that we currently go in, we need to find the weaknesses and failures to and its susceptibility to this iron law of oligarchy and bureaucracy, and shore up that. Um, and yeah, like I I didn't know any of this stuff, I thought it was really interesting. And if you want to look at the papers, I'm putting them in the show notes. Uh, moving on to Kate H. there's This is the final email. In your Chernobyl cast, you've been hoping for a nuclear physicist or an econ- economist, a- economics professor to write in. I'm neither of those, but I did major in international econ in undergrad with a focus on post-communist economies. Plus, my dad is a nuclear engineer, so here's what I've got. Uh disclaimer when we're talking about communism, marxism, bolshevism, leninism and trotskyism, stalinism are all very different. When thinking about socialism and sovietism, it's important to understand that it evolved and changed over time. The way we talk about socialism nowadays should not be thought of as the only way the Soviet Union was from beginning to end. There's lots of flavors of socialism. I mean shit, we see that in America. Like yeah. compare the Roosevelt administration Um, uh, you know, during the New Deal to what we have now, uh, and then what it was like in the Wild West period, and it's all, it, it all changes. Nothing's ever the same. Um, the super simplified Reader's Digest is the beginning of the Soviet Union in early 1900s. The Bolsheviks, a.k.a. the Reds, led by Lenin and champion workers' rights, revolted against other political Parties, the current government, the Tsar, and the wealthy and powerful. They want to see an end to the wars, the food shortages, and massive inflation the country was facing. There are many parallels there to America today. People don't like drawn-out, costly wars. The aggravation uh, or aggregation of decision-making power and resources into the hands of the rich and influential few, alienating much of the population. And three salaries not keeping up with the increased cost of living, education, and food, albeit on a smaller scale than pre-Soviet Russia so far. The stressors of the social system in Russia that led to the revolution and set up the Soviet Union, a place we think of as so different from the USA, are really not so different to, uh, to a base level of some of our big societal stressors today. Um, her thoughts on nuclear power in America. Um, some basics about the nuclear plant industry. My dad spent the first half of his career employed by one power plant and the second half of his career as a contractor who visited and worked on plants all across the country. One constant in the nuclear game is regulation changes. New regulations for plants are passed every time there's a disaster. A couple of examples I lived through, 9-11. As a kid before 9-11, I can remember visiting my dad at work at a power plant and being able to visit things on site um even the original control room similar to the one we see in episode one i was able to visit but after 9-11 new regulations were passed that made it basically impossible to visit there's additional security new checkpoints on the road leading to the plant vehicle checks by security teams etc i hear that that's also one of the reasons that nuclear is so expensive that like every single time a new regulations passed existing construction has to account for that and existing buildings have to retrofit so it's like like a nuclear power plant a hole that you have no idea how much money you'll have to put into to keep running. Yeah. Uh, then Fu- Fukushima, she says there's lots of new safety checks and regulations passed by the NRC, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Um, after Fukushima, it seems like there's a feast-famines type cycle to contracts for these power plants. Uh, and post-Fukushima, there was lots of work and lots of new engineer hired straight out of school to the contracting companies to help fill the need for plant updates. Due to this feast-famine cycle over the years, there were lots of older engineers who had been in industry for decades and lots of young engineers who had been in in it for less than a decade. Uh, It's interesting to think about that and see it alongside all the Chernobyl engineers who were either very young or very experienced. Um, And then closing plants, she cites this Diablo Canyon Power Plant, the last nuclear plant that's still open in California. It's in a very long process of closing due to its proximity to fault lines, plus it sits on a cliff next to the ocean. Huh. That, that seems like suboptimal placing. Seems like it. It's been a really controversial promise or process and scaling down and closing the plant is estimated to cost billions of dollars and be a major employment loss in the country. Another reason nuclear power is super fucking expensive. The Save Diablo Canyon folks are very proud of the plant because it's responsible for something like 20% of the non-carbon based power in California. And I'm all for green power, but I just wanted to shout out nuclear plants like this who helped move us away from carbon in first place and draw some attention to what the plant co- closure process looks like in practice hmm. so i thought those are interesting and kind of like um maybe more have a little bit more expertise or a little and i find that's interesting and in like when i click a feedback it seems like how hyperbolic you are in analysis of different political schemes and economic schemes is a direct uh, or, or like a opposite proportion to how formally knowledgeable you are in those things Mm -hmm. like the more you know about it the more the less likely you're to make sweeping generalizations and sure be like fuck those guys it can never happen over here and the more the the more likely you are to say like oh jesus yeah i see how those same things could happen over here i I thought that was interesting if we have any like people with professional credentials that want to uh, be hyperbolic, then shit. Send it in to TV at baldmove. dot com <laughs> uh, because I'll represent your informed uh, hyper uh, hyperbolicism. But um, so far, it's not been the trend. TV at baldmove.com dot com is where you want to send in that feedback if you've got any. Uh, also, we've got forum threads for each episode on forums. baldmove. dot com. If you'd like to join the conversation there, just one more of these episodes. One more. That's it. One more episode of Chernobyl, and we're done uh although as as we were pointing out chernobyl still lives on uh yeah um i wonder like a hundred years from now does that turn into like some kind of unesco world heritage site or something i don't know because like that's about how long it'll take to where like you could probably kind of just tour it Do safely tours, yeah yeah but i mean that'll shit it'll it will happen um okay that's it uh thanks for joining us it's been a lot of fun we got one more episode left as jim pointed out uh, we'll see you there. Don't r- don't forget that we have bald movie TV stuff all the time. We're gonna have an episode this Friday where we literally have too much good television. We mm-hmm. just did our prep, and there's like something like twelve series or films that are debuting online. I know one that we're gonna be looking at is Good Omens, yeah, um, which is kind of like a science fiction fantasy into the world, angels versus demons, kind of humorous comedy look, um, which looks to be really good. Um, we'll be talking about that. We also have a bald movie this week uh as we as we mentioned godzilla king of monsters check all those out on the relevant uh, podcasts and we'll see you next week for another Chernobyl. until then i'm aaron and i'm jim see ya